Today's episode of The Ride is brought to you by Weaver Leather. Welcome back to another episode of The Ride. This is Nicole. And I'm Michaela. Uh, and we're back with another episode. This time we got to sit down with uh, Bud Lyon, who is one of Horse and Rider On Demand's original experts. He is um, he spends most of his time in the reining and the ranch riding arenas and has done really well in both of those. But he also has a start in the cow horse industry. So we kind of go back to the beginning and talk about all things uh, horse related for him, how he got involved. Uh, him and I have a similar experience where we both grew up in very urban developments. Uh, I'm from Chicago and he is from Southern California. And so we kind of talk about, you know, how it's different to get involved in horses when you don't necessarily live in an area where, where equine sports are the, the norm and, you know, everybody around you is involved in it. Yeah, no, it was so fun to get to sit down and talk to Bud. I know that we have been trying to talk to Bud for a while now on the podcast, and we were finally able to align our schedules and sit down and talk to him. And, oh, my gosh, we could have talked for at least a day, I'm pretty sure. Like, we need to give Bud his own podcast because he was just rocking and rolling with all the good information that anybody could ever think about wanting. Yeah, Michaela and I usually have like a a little, you know, as much as we like to have a conversational interview during these, um, we always have a couple of questions stashed away just in case, you know, we need them. And I think we maybe got to like three of the questions because there was just so much conversation about the topics that we were covering that, yeah, we definitely need a part two because uh, we didn't even get through half of his horse life because there was just so much to go over. And Bud is so great to talk to, and he has so many great things to um, to say. And you know, as a professional in the horse industry, we cover the you know the importance of the ranch riding classes and how Ranch Trail is a new event that's going to be huge, and and the importance of that and bringing in new people and. And all of that, and I, I'm super excited for everybody to listen to it because I think um, you'll get to learn more about Bud and who he is, and hopefully check out his on-demand series because I every month his videos are at the top of the most watched list, and it's easy to know why. He is so knowledgeable, and everything that he does can be applied regardless of what kind of writing you do. Absolutely. And kind of switching gears to go into our current events, but kind of staying with on demand, we are adding more and more trainers to our on demand program. I think last week was the first video release with Molly Powell for barrel racing. And we have Monique Potts for natural horsemanship. We are going to start releasing cutting videos with Winston Hansma soon. So we are just hoping to give you guys a larger library of videos so you can go and watch whatever you want and apply them to whatever type of writing you do. 
Yeah, and on top of the ones that Michaela uh, just listed, we also have a reigning series that will be coming out with Ryan Rushing. Uh, I just did a uh, ranch horse versatility uh, series with Cody Crow, and that will also be coming out. So, yeah, we have tons of content in all sorts of disciplines. I know that on the list for this year, I am planning on reaching out to a couple of all-around horse trainers that I know from my 20 years of being in the all-around industry and we have more videos coming with some of our you know favorites with Monique and of course Brad and Bud who have been with the platform from the beginning and so it's it is it's turning into be such a cool platform with so many different videos from so many different trainers and disciplines and you can learn really whatever you want to learn about horse training from it. Yeah, and not just horse training. You can learn fitness and fitness that can be applied to horseback riding, which I think is huge because a lot of people think that you can just go and carry buckets and you'll be strong and fit for your ride, but that's not the case. And so you have the videos and you're also writing a blog for Horse and Rider with Kelly, the same expert for our on-demand videos. So you can get the best of both worlds on horseandrider.com and Horse and Rider On Demand. Yeah, Kelly Altswagger, who owns Western Workouts, and we've actually done a podcast interview with her, so most of you are probably familiar with who you are, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to it, because she talks so much about, you know, Kelly, the really great thing about Kelly is that she is a fitness expert and a nutritionist, uh, but she also is a rainer, and she goes on backcountry rides, so she truly understands the equestrian's body and what we need to survive, you know, when we're out and about doing the, you know, crazy things that we're doing, whether you're driving 20 hours on the road to get to a horse show across the country, or if you're just getting ready to go for like an all day trail ride in the mountains. Uh, So yeah, I love working with Kelly. She's become a really close friend of mine through the years, all because of horse and rider. And I actually started working with her on a personal level for my personal nutrition, because I felt that I needed to up my game for nutrition because I'm showing again and being fit and strong and capable of fueling my body properly was really important to me. And I know, Michaela, you and I have very similar opinions on that. So, uh, yeah, on a personal level, I'm working with Kelly because I think what she has to say for the magazine and the videos and all that is so important that I am doing it personally and, and spending my own money to, you know, work with her and her expertise because it's so important. But, um, yeah, I love it. We're talking, our first blog was about preparing for an all-day ride, whether you're going to go into the backcountry, you're going to be doing an overnight ride, or if you're just going to go and trail ride from morning until afternoon. Uh, You know, she talks about stretches and exercises that you can do to build yourself up physically so that you're strong enough to do what you want to do and not get sore in the saddle, because I don't know about you, but I get sore when I'm riding all day. Uh, But then she also goes over some of her favorite things that she likes to pack when she is on a trail ride um, to help her stay fueled and happy and healthy and hydrated. So, uh, yeah, that was the first one that came out. Super excited about it. I love working with Kelly. Yeah, no, I am so excited to read more about these blogs because, like you said, our views align so much on health and fitness. And one of the things that you mentioned was the fact that you're 
you know, spending your own money on this and doing it for your own health and for your own writing. And I just want to say that as editors of this magazine, we really do strive to live our best Western horse life and do everything. So everything that you see in the magazine is stuff that Nicole and I fully back and believe in because we're truly out here riding horses, trying to be fit and doing our best in the show pen. Yeah, I think um, practicing what you preach is really important. And, um, you know, I truly believe that everything that I write for the magazine, whether it's digital or print or even in this podcast, like these are all things that I truly believe in and I think are important. And yeah, so I, I do believe that fitness is super important and we get a lot of people you know, in the comment section that say, well, I'm at the barn all day doing chores, so I don't need to work out. And the truth is, is yeah. like, you're getting a lot of physical activity, but are you, you know, doing the right things for your body or are you actually harming yourself? And that's actually going to be our next post. Uh, and I'm super excited about that because I never thought about that. I never thought that some of the chores that I do around the barn could be actually hurting my body instead of helping it, even though I'm being physical and I'm outside and I'm lifting stuff and I'm, you know, doing that, I'm actually hurting my body because I'm not doing it right. So I hope people give, you know, a chance to read that blog and kind of, you know, see the importance of it and maybe try to apply one or two of those things in your daily life. Uh, obviously, it's really hard to change everything at once as I'm learning, as I jo do this nutrition journey um it's hard but it's really great uh information and you know it'll it'll keep you going and riding longer too which is also important yeah um another thing in current events not to just totally change gears but we wanted to remind you guys about the ahp survey that you guys should be taking you can access that on our facebook page go to our website you'll be able to find it so we need to know this information to better help serve you guys in the equine industry. The American Horse Publications comes out with a survey. I think this might be the fifth time they've done it. And the information that we get back from it really helps us form our content for you guys because we learn more about what is really important to you, what topics are important to you, uh, what your horse owning habits are are you going to horse shows are you going to clinics are you just staying at home you know and so the more people who take the survey the better this is only to help us reach the horse industry the best that we can so yeah be sure to check it out i think it ends march 30th though so um make sure that if you are going to take it that you take it before then yeah for sure Another thing that just happened was the World's Greatest Horsemen finals, uh, which we, Michaela and I both agree, this might be our favorite event of the year. We so enjoy it, and it's definitely on the bucket list to watch in person sometime. I was actually supposed to go to Fort Worth this year to compete possibly at the NRCHA Celebration of Champions. But unfortunately, some wildfires happened in Colorado last year, and I wasn't able to get to the last horse show that I needed to go to to qualify. So I was a little bummed that I missed out this year. However, I'm kind of glad that it all worked out because it was freezing in Texas, and people were dealing with, you know, no water, frozen pipes, no heat. It was 
mass chaos and the horse show was no different. I know I talked to Brad Farkemeyer and he told me that they were washing their horse trailer, you know, their living quarters, their dishes in a uh, water bucket and soap at the stalls because they didn't have any water at their horse trailer. So there were definitely some challenges this year at the Celebration of Champions, but the world's greatest horsemen went on as planned and it was so exciting to watch. And a mare won, which I'm always so excited for the mares because I feel like there's always this, uh, you know, idea that a stallion is stronger and more powerful and able to get the job done better. And I love when you see a powerful, powerful mare come out and show them all who is boss. Oh, my gosh. She was my absolute favorite to watch. Like, it's clear why she was the winner because everything was just absolutely stunning and flawless i loved watching her work and you could just tell that she was the winner of the group yeah it was really cool to watch but as always i mean those the the men and, and women there were two women in the finals this year you know the ability to do all four events like that and to be so good at all four events is just so amazing to watch all by itself. So, uh, you know, win or lose, to be in the finals of an event like that is such a huge accomplishment and uh, a compliment to their riding skill and their uh, partnership with their horses. Yeah, so maybe next year Nicole and I will venture down to watch it and it won't be freezing cold. And maybe Nicole will be able to compete down there next year. So that's on our list of yeah. things to do. Yeah, not – not the world's greatest horseman, but we'll start Not yet, anyway. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> anyway, um, I think we should probably get to the interview because I know that's what y'all are excited about. So uh, here is our interview with Bud. I hope you guys enjoy it. Weaver Leather's Ecolux Bamboo Gear is made from organic bamboo, the fastest growing plant on the planet that's sustainable, renewable resource you can feel good about having next to your horse. Thriving on very little water and without the use of pesticides or fertilizers, bamboo is a natural and biodegradable fiber with a small environmental footprint. The benefits don't stop there though. Bamboo is also moisture wicking, antibacterial, breathable, hypoallergenic, and resistant to UV rays, making it the ideal fiber for equine gear. Available in cinches, rope, and mule tape halters, leads, lunge lines, reins, and makatis, the Ecolux line has something to offer every tack room. Visit your local Weaver Leather dealer today to view the entire Ecolux bamboo gear line or visit www.ridethebrand.com backslash Ecolux. and welcome back to the ride podcast this episode we have guest bud lyon joining us and you're likely familiar with bud as he is one of our original horse and rider on demand experts and as well as a trainer who frequently contributes to horse and rider magazine so bud thank you for joining us 
Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. I've been wanting to do this for a while. It's a lot of pressure you you put on me with that build up there on that intro, but uh, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this has been in the works for like over a year now. We've been trying to sit down and get you on the podcast, so I'm very pumped that we finally have been able to. Well, maybe I don't know. You're kind of in a winter storm right now, so we might or <laughs> might not be actually doing this interview. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, you're right about that. We're we're going through a, a crazy winter storm here in North Texas, the likes of which um, I'm told they haven't seen in several decades. In fact, I think they said um, since the 1980s, maybe. So um, woke up this morning and the weather app said it was uh, two degrees and with the wind chill felt like negative 18. And so uh, it's a uncharted territory for for this Southern California native, that's for sure. So, yeah, you know it's bad when Michaela and I are in Colorado and it's colder in uh, Texas than it is here in Colorado, and we can right. see the ground. We don't even have any snow. We're getting the cold weather, but not nearly what you guys are getting. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's interesting for sure. I uh, again, I just uh, bought a new facility, and my wife and I are very excited about it. But uh, we're about to. <laughs> to learn about all the challenges that uh, come from uh, upgrading to a bigger facility that we don't know the nuances of. So I've already called our, our plumber and said, please be on standby for later next week because I want to get in line now because I feel like I'm going to need you. So it's it's the gift that just keeps on giving there oh man i'm <laughs> telling you um it's, it's a blessing and a curse that's for sure <laughs> well anyway let's uh let's start at the beginning i know uh you've just kind of mentioned that you have a new property and and all that fun stuff but let's let's go back to where it actually started you said you're from southern california how did you get involved in horses from the start well i I like to uh, tell the story uh, in the narrative that, you know, my it, it started with my my father. He uh, grew up with um, yeah, horses and, and livestock, and uh, he's from uh, the rural uh, southeast originally. And uh, he and my mom met in in Louisiana um, in the eighth grade and they were high school sweethearts, uh, went to college and um, uh, graduated from, from college, and my dad immediately got a job with Ralston Fiorina at the time, and he was a, a sales rep for their uh, feed division, and so they sent uh, uh, him and, and uh, my mom, you know, uh, all over the, the southeast, and um, my sister and I were born in, in the south, and um, you know, I think uh, horses and, and animals were always kind of the thing that, you know, uh, bonded us as a family. And uh, my dad uh, left uh, Purina and got into the oil and gas business. And historians know that went bust in the 80s. And when that happened, <clears throat> he had a, a sister who was living in Southern California um, playing in real estate. And she um, mentioned, you know, you should come out here. Real estate is booming. Um, you know, you would do great at this. And so uh, that inspired a, a relocation to Southern California. And uh, I say this with love, but for uh, for a, uh, a good old country boy uh, moving from, 
you know, uh, the South to Southern California, I think that was a, a little bit of a, a lifestyle change and a and an eye opener. And uh, I jokingly say that, you know, when we got to Southern California, I think my dad looked around and saw the, uh, you know, surfing culture and the skateboarding culture. And he was like, no, kids, I, I don't get it. We're, we're going to do the horses. And so I feel like he, um, you know, pushed nudged us, uh, you know, to keep doing uh, the horses specifically because that was something that he was familiar with and he understood and he gravitated to. And, and as a family, you know, we had some familiarity with that. And so um, I, I uh, jokingly say that he, he pushed it into overdrive because he was scared we were going to end up with, you know, uh, tattoos and, and piercings at the age of nine and, and, you know, living homeless on the street or something, but, uh, I'm sure, uh, he would tell the story differently, but that's, that's the way, um, uh, I interpret it. But nonetheless, uh, you know, my sister and I were both involved in 4-H, um, as, as kids. And, um, we mostly concentrated on, on the horse aspect and, and we came up, um, uh, you know, doing the 4-H shows and, and open horse shows, um, you know, in Southern California, most people don't have uh, space to keep horses in their backyard. Um, we grew up near the coast, so that's especially true, you know, in, in Orange County where real estate is limited and, and so valuable. So, um, you know, we, uh, there was a, a county extension 4-H farm actually uh, on the University of California at Irvine campus, which was just a few blocks uh, from from where we lived. And uh, I think that was probably a little unique um, at the time. And I, I don't know if that, though, I know that one, that particular one doesn't exist anymore. I'm not sure if any of them do, but um, it was a great opportunity, I think, for kids in an urban area or suburban area who, you know, didn't have um, the same kind of access uh, to keeping livestock, you know, and, and specifically horses, um, uh, you know, uh, in their yard or, or closer to home. And so um, it was this, you know, um, wonderfully unique little um, kind of haven for kids that uh, lived in, in, you know, in an urban environment, but um, wanted to be involved in in agriculture and with animals and with horses and um, luckily for us you know it was convenient which is a huge you know benefit of anything that you're going to do I think so um, you know in high school I, I would go to the to the 4-H farm uh, in the morning and you know we had a, a we kept a handful of horses there in a barn and I would clean stalls and feed horses and then I'd um, you know, go to go to class and then come back in the afternoons uh, after school was over and and uh, do it all over again. And and luckily it was all pretty much within walking distance. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I'd have to you know kind of hop the fence and cut across a, the pasture to get there. But um, my high school ended up being um, you know relatively close. And so um, you know, I think. From there, you know, we sort of gravitated to the, you know, the smaller open shows, um, you know, in Southern California. And there were times where we kept horses at public boarding facilities, um, you know, in Orange County, um, over in Costa Mesa at the fairgrounds, and then in uh, Huntington Beach uh, at the Huntington Beach Equestrian Center. And along the way, you know, we met some professional trainers uh, that were working out of those facilities. And, um you know, they were 
were nice enough to work with us and, and, um, you know, kind of help us springboard to the next level from there, which was, you know, into the, to the AQHA shows where we started doing the all around stuff. And, you know, at this point, I think, uh, you know, my dad felt like, um, you know, he wanted to try to put us in a position to be as successful as we could at, at something that we were showing an interest in. Um, and something that, you know, we were, we were working hard to, to achieve our goals with. So, um, you know, we started commuting further in to, uh, other areas to train with trainers in Southern California, like Dana Hokana, who was in Temecula at the time. And then, um, Todd Crawford, who was, um, located right next door. And, uh, from there it just sort of, you know, progressed. I mean, I, Again, I, I started, you know, out at the AQHA level doing the all-around classes. So that was pleasure, trail, and showmanship, and Western riding, and you know, a little bit of everything. And and uh, I think that created a great background, you know, um, to to get a taste of all of it and to learn some of the fundamentals and all that stuff, um, you know. And and then from there, we kind of segued into the reining and and the rain cowhorse stuff, and um, you know. Um, and it, it just sort of um, created a life of its own for me, I think. I have to say, I, I totally agree with you on the, the urban aspect where it is really, it is important when you find that community because I am, I'm also from that urban lifestyle where I'm from Chicago, but we don't really, you know, people don't really understand the horse showing thing. And growing up when I said I showed horses, people looked at me really funny. Um, and like you said, you know, people don't really have them in their backyard and, and all that. So yeah, it's huge that you were able to find that community and that support system within that urban lifestyle. Yeah, I, I think it was, you know, um, you know, it, it, it was really something unique. Uh, a lot of my peers in school didn't, you know, didn't have those hobbies or those interests or those activities. Um, you know, and so if you, when you found other, you know, people who did, then, you know, you really, um, kind of develop a common interest and a commonality with those people. And, um, you know, it was, um, you know, it, it was a great activity to be involved in as a family. I mean, you know, it's something that we could all do, um, you know, uh, on some level and, I think that it also teaches kids um, responsibility and great life lessons. And, you know, it certainly did for me. Um, you know, I think you, you learn, you know, about caring for, for animals and other individuals, but you also, you know, learn that it takes, you know, hard work and dedication and that, you know, um, you have to put certain things above your own interests at times. And, you know, um, those are important lessons for, for kids to learn. And, and I think, and, and, you know, certainly was for me. And, um, you know, it, again, it kind of cemented the foundation that, that, uh, you know, we abide by in, in my business to this day. So, you know, um, the horses, you know, always come first around here and, you know, um, it's cold, it's, it's miserable, you know, the last few days around here, the, the waters are freezing, you know, but Hey, you know, you got to get out there and make sure those horses are are uh, cared for, and you got to make sure that you know um, they're healthy and they're as comfortable as you can possibly make them. And you know if that means that um, you know you're not warm or you haven't eaten yet, then you know so be it. That's just uh, part of it. So 
I think Michaela can probably relate to that last part because the other day I was talking to her and she said she was in her bathtub filling up water to go water her horses because her hose froze. Right. So that's a trick I just learned about, actually. I, I didn't know anything about that until uh, about 24 hours ago, but I've seen that uh, floating around on social media. So uh, I, I don't know if we can um, water 60 head of horses um, just based on the size of our bathtub, but <laughs> but it's probably something that we need to be doing just in case anyways. So um, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, Michaela only has two horses that she has to keep watered during all of this. <laughs> yeah, I just read about one this morning uh, for that uh, I thought was kind of interesting. I hadn't thought of, but I guess um, uh, there's some people who are using a like a 55 gallon drum as a burn barrel and putting it next to their stock tank so that their livestock who are you know out in the the pastures, um, if, if their stock tanks are frozen over, then, you know, uh, if you, if you build a fire in a, in a 55 gallon drum and make it a burn barrel and put it next to the edge of the stock tank, then sometimes that will melt the ice just enough that your, your livestock can get over there and drink a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I'm relying on the experience and the wealth of information that, uh, a lot of other folks who live in different parts of the country, um, have that I don't. Yeah, I've seen a lot of very creative things pop up on Facebook lately for all of the ways that people are trying to overcome this coldness that everybody seems to be experiencing. So, yeah, I, I feel yeah, but I also don't have 60 head of horses. So, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, everybody seems to be experiencing it, except for some of my friends in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, uh, you know, shout out to my friends in Scottsdale. Uh, love you and hate you all at the same time right about now. So. Exactly. All right. Well, so going back, you uh, you started in the all around, which I agree with you. I, I also started there. Um, it's a great place to learn the fundamentals and really just learn how to ride. Uh, but then you transitioned over to the cow horse in the raining, which are two of my personal favorite events now. Um, how... How did you first get involved in that? I know um, the cow, I mean, it's just such a fun event. I'm sure the minute you saw it, you were like, that's what I want to do. Well, interestingly enough, I, I, it wasn't the minute I saw it. It was probably the minute, the first time I worked a cow that I, I knew I wanted to do it. When I saw it, you know, right or wrong, um, it, it, it felt foreign to me. You know, I, I didn't, you know... I think our focus had been coming up through the 4-H and the open shows and the AQHA shows that we went to, you know, our focus had been so um, laser-like on those events for a while that, you know, um, the cow horse um, just wasn't, wasn't on our radar. Uh, the, the way that I fell into it was that I had a, um, you know, an all-around horse and uh, we took him to a show in Pomona, California called the West Coast Circuit, which at the time was was uh, a pretty large corridor circuit and did some uh, had some success at that show. And that horse went home from that show and got hurt. And I, I remember just being, a, you know, uh, really deflated by that because we, we were just coming off, a, you know, a pretty good show and looking forward to the rest of the show year. I think it was only January. Um, so, you know, we're 
we're looking forward to you know uh, competing and and getting some qualifying points for the uh, youth world and um, you know uh, felt like it was you know it was really our year to to gain some traction and then the horse goes and gets hurt well somewhere along the way um, my dad had had bought a little kind of first reigning horse just to learn on and I, I think he did it because his kids kept stealing his horses to be honest with you so you know he kind of did the did played around at the all-around events just a little bit and and every time he got a, a you know a nice little horse then you know uh my sister and I would end up taking it and showing it and you know he would you know uh very graciously relinquish it but um uh, I think what he decided is that he was going to buy himself a, a, something that was, you know, out of the norm. And then, you know, he could go do that. And then maybe that, you know, it would be fun for him. And it would be something that, uh, you know, we wouldn't take because we were, we were focused on the other stuff. And, and that might've been true for a hot second. And then, uh, unfortunately the all around horse got hurt. So uh, as a way to distract me, uh, you know, my dad said, well, Harry, I've got this, you know, this raining little raining horse and he said why don't you you know um, give it a try and you know it, it was like I said something I think he did intentionally just to kind of distract me from the disappointment of you know knowing that uh, I wasn't going to get to accomplish some of those goals that I had set for myself that year on on the other horse because it looked like the other horse was going to be down for a while so quite honestly um, you know I fell into it because of that. And at the time I must've been, geez, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old, something like that. And, and, uh, you know, I started doing the reining and which is, you know, a whole different skill set compared to the, some of the all around stuff. And by the time the all around horse was healed up and ready to go back to the show pin, um, I wasn't not, not in those events anyways. So, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I think it became this sort of um, just natural fit for me that I enjoyed doing that. We ended up selling the all-around horses, and at that time, um, you know, we made the transition over to, to Todd Crawford's barn, and at the time, Todd, you know, was very successful in the reining and just starting his rain cow horse career. Um, as a matter of fact, I think the first year that I trained with Todd, he still had some all-around horses, um, and he maybe, you know, was just at the point in his career where he was deciding that his focus was going to be just on the reining and the rain cow horse, and but and he um, ending up, ended up, you know, sending those those all-around horses uh, home or to other trainers, um, and just focusing on on those two events. Uh, but you know, that was sort of the the progression you know as it uh, happened for for myself and to answer your question Nicole you know I started out learning how to do the raining and getting the fundamentals of, of the rain work down and then you know uh, by virtue of, of being immersed in Todd's program you know uh, he you know let me work a cow and I think that was the moment where I was like oh like this is this is something special and unique and uh that's you know that's when i got the bug and so um i'm sure everybody has their own version of that story but that's you know that's how it happened for me i feel like so many people start out in the all around which is such a great foundation and then they get a little bit of a taste of another event and they're like ooh 
this is so much fun. And I think a lot of great trainers come about that way. Yeah, I, the all around, you know, I don't regret doing it one bit. I mean, I, I feel like I, I've said this before in private conversations. I feel like I'm part of um, one, the last generation that did more than one event in a way like that didn't specialize. And I know there are still, you know, uh, kids and adults out there that do the all around and they do more than one event. But I'm talking about, you know, um, when I was growing up on, on the West Coast, the, the NRCHA was very prevalent. You know, obviously that's where it, it, it started and it has its roots. Um, we weren't involved in that because, you know, we weren't just quite as aware of that as we were, you know, um, the AQHA. The NRHA had some events on the West Coast, but also um, at that time, not as many as there are now and not as you know, they were far and away outnumbered by the by the AQHA stuff. And so what I what we did and what I feel like a lot of, you know, my peers did is, you know, from about January um, on, you know, you you went to a lot of these corridor shows and you showed sometimes in the spring every weekend at a different town, you know, and and the AQHA, um, you know, at that time was booming and. And um, those events that, that we did, you know, um, I think created a solid foundation as far as, you know, understanding um, horsemanship and equitation and, um, you know, cadence and stride and footfall and collection and softness and, you know, um, all these things that, you know, I, I think were cemented into me, you know, at a young age through repetition and, and just through, you know, uh, good, strong, fundamental teaching. But, um, you know, we would go to a horse show and, you know, show in multiple events with the same horse. And even as I transitioned away from the, the all around events and into the, uh, reigning and the, and the cower stuff, you know, the same applied. I mean, I would still sometimes go to a, you know, a corridor show, in um you know santa barbara california and i might show in the raining the cutting the cow horse the roping you know and i i certainly wasn't um you know uber competitive in some of those events but um we would do it you know uh, because it was fun or to help our fellow exhibitors out or you know um because it was good for the horse uh, you know i think generations before me did that and sometimes they did it all on the same horse as well but they might do things like show in the roping the cutting the reining the western riding the trail all on the same horse because that's what you had you know we didn't specialize as much as we do today and so i think um a lot of that you know background has allowed me to cross over into some of the other events and now that the ranch events have become so popular um they are this you know, sort of amalgamation of all those disciplines to me, you know, you've got some, um, you know, events in the, in the ranch classes that, you know, um, that rely on a, on a horsemanship type background or on a trail type background or, you know, reining or, or, you know, cattle knowledge. Um, so I think, um, having the you know that experience at the time you know I, I don't know if I took it for granted but I probably didn't realize how well it was going to pay off for me down the road you know I mean when you're a kid I don't know that you necessarily think that way 
in general, but I certainly never envisioned that um, that background was going to lend itself to, um, you know, allowing me to, to venture into some of these other events and, and you know, uh, be able to cross over um, with a smoother transition than I might have otherwise if I had not had that background. I totally agree with that on so many levels yeah like like you were saying with the foot placement and the cadence and and body control and all these things that you I mean you take for granted all these things when you're riding and doing them every day but you're so right they definitely help you transition and do other events a lot you know more I don't want to say seamlessly because you do still run into you know bumps along the road when you transition to another event but it does really help the transition and with the ranch class is getting so popular i mean we've talked about on the podcast with other um on other episodes the ranch trail is now an aqha approved class so i see that being just as huge as the ranch riding which you have a lot of experience with but i love being able to take a cow horse or a rainer and put them over poles for a trail class or do the ranch riding and it's good for their brain it's good for them to just go out and do other things and I have a horse that's not going to make it in the cow horse necessarily, but he's really good going over the poles and stuff. So he would make a really good ranch riding and a ranch trail horse. And so I've been playing around with that, but my experience in the all around doing all those events has definitely helped prepare me to teach this horse to do this event. No, I think you're absolutely right, Nicole. And I, I think you're spot on, you know, we we're seeing an explosion in interest and growth in the, ranch classes, um, you know, all over the world, really, not just here in the States, but um, I, I think a lot of those horses um, benefit from doing more than one event. And I think the riders do as well. I mean, I, I, I've seen zero downside to it. I, you know, I, when, when the ranch riding first became popular and um, you know, some, some of the exhibitors with a reigning background, um, you know, we're, we're dabbling in it. I, I think there was this narrative that, you know, that wasn't good for reining horses, you know, to do the ranch riding because, you know, they, it would potentially teach them to, to break to the trot when you didn't want them to. And that could not have been more of a false narrative. I mean, as someone who, who does both events, I can tell you that I've never had a reining horse break gate when, um, because he, you know, uh, also did the ranch riding you know that's just not the way it works but what we're seeing is the ranch classes have been so beneficial to horses that need a second job or you know maybe need a different job or um, need something that freshens them up for their primary job and i mean that mentally physically both but you know we see for example reining horses that um, you know, maybe have become a little show smart, as we like to call it, and learn to anticipate and, or, you know, get away with um, some, um, some bad habits in the show pen. And those horses have really benefited from the ranch classes where they go into the arena and they don't run a reigning type pattern every single time, you know, and it, it, it tends to give those horses a mental break. It gives those horses, um, something else to think about, you know, it, it makes them better at their primary job. Um, it, it, you know, prolongs their careers as performance horses, I think. 
And you're right, the, the Ranch Trail, um, you know, debuted at the World Show uh, last year in 2020. And uh, although it wasn't an, uh, a world championship class, it was um, incredibly well uh, attended. And, and the participation level was very good for a class that uh, for its debut. And I think, um, you know, as an industry we only expect that to to keep getting better and to grow, and it seems like there's a lot of interest in that. The the ranch on the rail um, or Western working rail uh, classes, uh, as it was also called at the at the AQHA World Show last year, have also seen an explosion in popularity, and I think that's something that really both both humans and and horses, uh, you know, are are taking advantage of right now um, because, you know, again, it, it creates the opportunity to do more than one of them. I think um, we're seeing the pendulum swing a little bit away from specialization, not that it won't still continue to happen and occur. And I'm not casting judgment on that. You know, I mean, um, there's an art to everything and, you know, I don't care what event it is to watch a horse perform well at it, at its, you know, chosen event is, um, you know, is an art form. And, um, but I think there are also people and horses who, who want to and benefit from doing more than just one event. So rather than going to a horse show and, and you know, showing up two days before you show, showing, you know, maybe waiting around a few more days to show again, you know, there are, um, you know, a, a certain segment of the population that, would like to do more than one event and like to show in something, you know, more regularly. And I think the ranch classes are offering that opportunity. And, you know, it's also kind of a throwback to, to, you know, like I touched on before my generation who a lot of times at the AQHA level came up doing more than one event, you know, you didn't just show in the ring or you didn't just show in, you know, the, uh, the, Western riding, you know, you, you did more than one events over the one event over the course of the of the weekend or the course of the week, and I think that you're seeing people respond to that, and I think the horses, um, you know, are certainly uh, the beneficiaries of that as well. Yeah, well, I think it just really helps both horse and rider refine their cues in all events across the board, whether you're doing the reining and the ranch riding or any other event. And one thing that I really like is you're kind of helping to play into this with Horse and Rider On Demand because you have a series on transitioning a reining horse to ranch riding. And I find it so interesting because the horse pretty much effortlessly transitioned into it because you hadn't done anything with the ranch riding on this horse before. And I think a lot of people can take notes from it that they can transition their horses into other events to help not only their horse, but themselves. Yeah, I... I appreciate you saying that. I think, you know, the one benefit that you see from um, reining trained and rain cow horse trained horses is the that foundation that's put onto the, that, those horses um, early in their, you know, training careers. And so I'm not talking about pressure. I'm talking about the foundation that starts with body control. And it's so much easier for me to transition a horse into a class like the ranch riding if they come from a foundation where they've been taught collection and body control um you know at an at an 
at an earlier age or at a you know um, early on in their training process. Now, does that mean we can't do it on another horse? No, um, but you know it's certainly I, I I can't get to step B without step A. So, as an example, if someone sends a horse to me um, for training and you know the background that it comes from doesn't have that same um, you know, history of, of body control, I have to spend, you know, my time getting that part first before we can even worry about the nuances of a different event. So, um, you know, I, I think that being able to move the hip around or being able to manipulate the shoulders or being able to, you know, make sure that the rib cage is, is aligned with the other body parts is, you know, integral to any event, but specifically in the ranch riding, you know, if, if I have the ability to make adjustments, um, you know, by fixing something that, you know, uh, it just makes my job so much easier and it makes those horses transition into the ranch riding so much easier because, you know, they already understand elevation of the back and they understand, you know, um, all these things. So again, you know, it's you know, certainly the ranch riding and the ranch classes, you know, are appealing to a lot of people because, um, you know, I think folks look at that and say, well, I used to do that or my horse could do that or, you know, um, that looks like fun. And, and all of those things can be true. I think that, um, you know, it, it makes for a quicker uh, speed to success sometimes when they have a foundation on them, like that comes from something like the reining or the rain cow horse, where those horses have been taught at an early age, Hey, when I put the leg here, that means you need to move your hip away from that pressure, you know, and step over. Um, and that translates to the trail as well. I mean, you know, if I need to, um, fix a piece that is, um, for lack of a better term, malfunctioning as I'm going through or over a trail obstacle, you know, if, if I have a horse that understands how to move away from leg pressure, uh, move laterally, you know, then it's a lot easier for me to make those adjustments and to, you know, teach that horse where to be in, in position than it is um, if I have a horse that, you know, doesn't have a, a foundation of body control and a horse that maybe is numb to my leg or, or wants to push back at my leg instead of moving away from it. Um, you know, these are just examples, but those are, that's been my experience is that, you know, um, uh, having a horse like that certainly makes my job as a trainer much easier and it allows that horse to tra transition, you know, more quickly into, um, you know, a, an event like the ranch riding. Well, and I think that kind of ties into something that you were saying earlier about how people had this mentality that if you take your reining horse and put it in a ranch riding class, they're going to, you know, break to a trot when they shouldn't or this and that. But I, I really think it's the opposite because if you have all those fundamentals and you can get your horse to do literally anything you ask, whether it's a transition, a speed cue, uh, you know, a change of leads, you know, moving their body over to side pass them it's only going to get them more broke and softer for when you're in the reining pen or in the ranch riding pen. And I, you know, I can't see it not benefiting in any way. There's zero downside to it. And I mean, I say that as someone who, you know, shows at the NRHA events and the, you know, AQHA, um, you know, uh, ranch events, uh, I can tell you I've been doing it long enough now that I feel like if, 
you know, if there were going to be, um, you know, some type of unintended consequences, I feel pretty confident it would have shown up by now. But, you know, the beauty of, of a ranch riding pattern is, uh, for the most part, no two patterns are even remotely the same, which is, you can't say that for a rain cow horse pattern necessarily or a raining pattern. And part of the reason why I believe we see so much anticipation from our raining horses or our, uh, you know, pattern, rained pattern horses um, is that they are smart and they learn to figure those patterns out pretty quickly. And, you know, they learn to anticipate in the center where so much happens for, you know, specifically a raining horse who might have to speed up, slow down, change leads, change direction, spin either direction. You know, um, you see a lot of reining horses who have some anxiety in the center of the show pin. Um, you know, whereas a ranch riding pattern, very rarely are you asked to stop and turn in the center of the show pin or change leads in the center of the show pin. You do change leads on the diagonal quite often from, you know, going across the arena. Um, but you might also change leads going down the length of the arena at some point. And, I think all that does is, you know, again, freshen a horse up, um, you know, who has learned to anticipate when you go and do those ranch riding patterns, um, you know, you're keeping the horse guessing a little bit. And that is part of the, the psychological part of the game of training horses, especially, you know, um, a reining horse, uh, you know, one of my mentors, Randy Paul said one time, you know, you, you spend the first two years of a horse's training, uh, you know, teaching them what to do. And then you spend the rest of their, you know, career teaching them to wait on you to tell them when to do it. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that, you know, um, you, you cement that foundation and then those horses, you know, the naivete wears off to some degree and those horses, you know, think they know what's coming or, you know, they get worried about what's coming. And so then you have to spend a lot of time, you know, um, making those horses learn to wait or, or keeping them guessing a little bit for lack of a better term as to what, you know, what they might be asked to do. And that's why you see so much schooling in the reining sometimes, you know, and I think the ranch riding, if nothing else can be used as a great tool to school your riding horse. Even if you don't have any desire or intention to competitively show the ranch riding, I think it's an excellent opportunity for people to do something different with their reining horse or perhaps their rain cow horse who, you know, can also get a little antsy in the show pen. Um, you know, I, I think that there's no downside to it. And I think that, you know, um, as an example, I have a youth rider right now and she's had a lot of success on a reining horse who I think is, you know, nine or 10 years old this year. Um, but you know, towards the end of last year, he started to get, you know, perform less than what he was capable of in the reigning pen. And, um, you know, we maybe, uh, you know, against her, her will sent her into the ranch riding pen, um, you know, quite a bit. And, you know, while she's very gifted at it and her horse, you know, in my opinion is an excellent candidate for it, it wasn't something that was necessarily her idea, but um, she ended up, you know, developing an appreciation for it. And it seems like her horse now is back to fulfilling his potential in the reigning pen. And I think both uh, trainer and rider now agree that 
um, at least some of that is because of what we've been doing with the ranch riding, because we gave that horse something different to do and something else to think about. And we did it, you know, for a while, um, we, we sort of took the, you know, the reining part out of the equation. And um, then we circled back, back around to the reining and she's marking some scores that she hadn't seen in a while uh, out of that horse. Now, you know, Perhaps we're we're being too self indulgent on that, but I, I can't point to anything else um, that would have caused that, um, you know, that type of metamorphosis. So, uh, you know, f- for myself, I, I really truly believe that um, you know there's there's a lot of good that can come from doing more than one event on these horses, and I think the public is telling us is that they they want to do something you know that's fun that that is more than just one class at one horse show and um you know the the participation numbers at at the shows um sort of you know uh merit that a little bit and or you know show us that and i think that what people are finding is that you know those horses go into those some of those other events and they show in those other events there's no pressure there's no expectations sometimes if they you know have never done the events before and those horses seemingly take a deep breath after a few trips through the ranch riding or the ranch trail pattern or the ranch on the rail and um, they seem to decompress a little bit and that only you know um, that 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 only makes them better I think in their other events long term and I think it's great for the welfare of the horse. I'm totally in agreement with you. I, like I've mentioned earlier, I come from the all around. I love being able to show in multiple events because I was the person that had one horse and I did seven to eight eight events with her. And I I always enjoyed it. Am I competitive at every single event that I went into? Not necessarily, but I loved the challenge that came with doing multiple events with one horse. And you're so right. It benefits the horse. I have a horse right now who, um, took a step away from the cow horse stuff because he was legitimately running away when he saw a cow, which I mean, you've shown cow horses. That's something you want to avoid when you have a cow horse. So the people who had owned him weren't really sure what to do with him because he wasn't able to compete at the level that they were competing at. And then I came around and I don't know what I'm doing in the cow horse. So he takes care of me, but I also do other things with him. I'm putting him over poles to do the ranch trail. I'm teaching him the transitions he would need to do the ranch riding. I take him on trail rides. I go swimming in the reservoir with him. Like I just do all these other things. And then when it came back to doing the cow horse, he marked a 145 and a half on the cow the first time back in three years with a rider who had never done it before. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about is, you know, um, again, we've, we've gotten so specialized sometimes as an industry that, um, you know, we've, overlook the benefit of, you know, doing, you know, something different just to, to give those horses a, a mental break sometimes. And a lot of our issues, I don't think are that we're seeing, you know, um, aren't, aren't always physically related. I think as an industry, you know, we, we, you know, do a good job of taking care of our animals and taking care of our equine athletes. But the heart, you know, there's there's a second um, part of that equation, and it's the psychological part of performance and competition and the toll that that can take on a horse sometimes. And, you know, you see plenty of horses that, you know, uh, rain cow horses, for example, that walk into an arena and the first thing they start doing is looking for that cow. Right. And, 
you know, we've bred that into them. We've trained them that they're supposed to do that on some level, but that sure does make it challenging when there's not going to be a cow involved and you have to go do a rainwork pattern. And so I think, again, you know, the, the ranch classes offer an opportunity, um, you know, to um, mitigate some of that psychological, you know, anxiety, but also, um, you know, allow a horse to be competitive in something different and, and allow exhibitors to have fun and be competitive in, in something different. And again, that's not to say that, you know, um, specialization is necessarily bad because, uh, you know, um, you know, it, it is absolutely fun uh, to ride or to watch anything that is exceptionally good at its job. And I would never take that away from a reining horse or from a rain cow horse or a cutting horse or anything like that. Um, but I, I think what we're talking about is as an industry, how we've pivoted, you know, to some degree from, you know, uh, a background where, you know, we had exhibitors and horses that did more than one event to an age of specialization, which is prevalent in our society as a whole. I mean, I think you see, you know, um, I think you see kids who specialize early on in, in athletics now, whereas when I was a kid, I would do, you know, you know, multiple sports and I was probably terrible at all of them. But, you know, I think that was a lot more common than now, you know, what I see and what I hear is kids pick something, an activity early on sometimes, and they, they focus 100% on that activity, whether it's soccer or baseball or football or basketball or whatever, um, instead of, you know, being a three-sport athlete necessarily or, you know, um, um, you know diversifying as much. And I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions to all of it, but I think, you know, as a society, we've seen, you know, that that people tend to specialize in one area a lot more. And, and again, now I think what we're starting to see, at least in some parts of the horse industry in the Western performance horse industry is the opportunity, um, you know, for that pendulum to swing back the other way and, and offer, you know, an outlet or, or, a, uh, you know, a forum for people to do more than one event and to um, allow their horses to do more than one event. Well, and I think that's kind of, the foundation of your training program is you have clients that do multiple events like we've mentioned. So how exactly did you get into training in general? You know, that's something that um, I think just sort of developed over time. You know, we, we talked about, you know, my background and, and uh, you know, growing up as a, as a kid who enjoyed horses and, and um, did all that kind of stuff, you know, I, that interest early on, but, um, for me personally, I, you know, I ended up spending a lot of time with horse trainers. Um, so about the time I was 14 or 15, um, you know, my, my dad would start volunteering me to be, uh, you know, free help for, uh, some of these trainers, um, that, um, you know, we were, um, training with, or that we were, you know, around and, uh, I think he firmly believe he did it just to get me out of the house, get his teenage son out of the house, um, especially during the summers. But, uh, you know, uh, so he would, he would volunteer my, my services, uh, to these trainers, uh, you know, that we knew. And of course, what trainer wouldn't want, uh, you know, free help, um, unless it's, it's bad help. And I have no, I, no doubt that I was poor help <laughs> for some of these guys. I'm sure Todd Crawford would tell you that. Uh, but what happened is, you know, I, I got it up, up close and, 
you know, uh, look at, at, at that lifestyle. And, um, you know, it was, um, you know, something that I think, um, you know, un- unknowingly probably, um, you know, created this interest that, oh, well, this is a lifestyle that, you know, is, is seemed great. And those were certainly rose colored glasses to, to, you know, a young man who, um, you know, just thought that, you know, um, you know, we, all it was, was riding horses and, and, um, you know, enjoying the, the, uh, whatever success came along with that and not having a fully formed understanding of what all goes into, you know, actually being a horse trainer and owning and operating your own business, which is a whole different, you know, thing than, than the part of actually riding the horses. So, um, for me, it probably developed, you know, because I would go, you know, and spend these summers in high school and college, you know, sort of, um, apprenticing with these trainers. And, um, you know, at one point, you know, um, some trainers would, would offer me a job and, and, uh, you know, I think I, uh, you know, thought that that seemed really glamorous and, and, you know, flattering. And, uh, at the time, you know, I was thinking about skipping college, you know, to, to go on and, and, uh, take one or two of those opportunities. And, uh, luckily, uh, you know, uh, my parents basically said, listen, you know, you're going to college. And so the joke around my house is that they drugged me to, to college kicking and screaming. And then once I got there and, uh, realized, you know, how that was a heck of a lot easier than, um, you know, than getting up and working an 18 hour day, you know, in the middle of the summer, uh, training, you know, I loved school. So they joked that they had to drag me out of college once I got there, but, uh, but, you know, they drug me in and they drug me out, but I, but, you know, and seriousness, I think that I went to college thinking, okay, you know, this is something I'm going to go do. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to, you know, um, uh, fulfill this, you know, commitment to my, my family and to myself. And then after that, I'm going to go try the training thing and just see where it goes. And I think I had that mentality pretty early on from the time I was a freshman in college that, you know, Hey, this is something I think I'm at least going to give it a shot, you know, and see where it goes. And then, you know, if it, if it doesn't pan out, then that's fine. But, um, you know, for me, I I think it was an unintended consequence of, just spending so much time around, you know, trainers, whether it was, you know, Christmas vacation, spring break, you know, summer vacation, whatever. And, um, you know, going to these, you know, traveling and, and living with, uh, these people, some of whom I, you know, on some level I idolized. So, um, that's sort of what, what created the, the initial, um, seed. And then, you know, it just sort of developed from there for me. So you mentioned, that you worked with a lot of trainers, some of them that you idolized. Are there a couple of trainers in particular that you would consider your mentors or maybe who have just offered you some sound advice that you still hold really true to your training philosophy today? Well, certainly. I mean, there, you know, I don't think anyone gets to where they are without being influenced by someone and, or multiple someones. And I'm, one of those people who believes in the cliche that you can learn something from everyone, um, regardless of whether it's the wrong thing. So, you know, I, I mentioned, um, you know, Dana Hokana, who, you know, uh, we did the all around events with when I was younger. Um, you know, when I first started riding reining horses, 
Um, there uh, was a gentleman named Rick Bear in Southern California who was and still is a trainer. He gave me some of my first reining lessons. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Todd and, and, uh, you know, he, uh, is certainly someone who influenced me a lot when I was younger. Um, you know, I think watching Todd's work ethic, um, was something that, um, you know, really influenced me. Uh, you know, I, I, I would go and sleep on, you know, spend, spend a couple of summers sleeping on Todd's couch and, you know, he would get up at three or four in the morning to go to work. And I, that meant I was getting up to go with him, you know, and, uh, we might not come back to the house until, you know, 10 o'clock that night. And, you know, I was lucky if, if we stopped and, and ate lunch or along the way, but, um, watching that, but then seeing the success that Todd had, I think impacted me quite a bit, you know, um, I spent, uh, you know, a couple of summers um, with Don Murphy when I was in college, um, uh, and I think watching Don do multiple events also impacted, you know, uh, my career in a way, because at that time, you know, Don had, uh, you know, was living in Northern California, and, and he had rope horses and reining horses and cow horses and some horses that they would show in the hurt work, and um, you know, certainly seeing that and understanding that one horse can do multiple events or the benefit of, you know, transitioning, um, you know, a horse into a, a different event um, and what that can do uh, for a horse's um, psyche and longevity, I think, um, uh, really impacted me. You know, I, I spent seven years working for Randy Paul, and obviously Randy does you know, the reigning and the rain cow horse. And, um, you know, he's an NRHA million dollar rider. He's, you know, uh, won the title of world's greatest horseman. Uh, you know, he's um, also someone that impacted me greatly, you know, because you learn that, um, you know, those horses can do more than one event. And while that is increasingly rare these days, you know, I, I think, those three programs in particular, you know, uh, Todd's and, and Don's and Randy's all had a really, really strong foundation. And, you know, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that body control and, um, you know, that collection and softness and those kind of things. But, um, you know, those three guys, I think, had a huge impact on my uh, outlook on a training program and, and what is considered a quote unquote, broke horse, you know, finished horse. And, and a lot of people, I think, you know, confuse gentle and broke, but to me, you know, uh, those guys knew how to make um, what we considered, you know, uh, a broke horse and, and a good finished product of a horse that, you know, was well-trained, had a great foundation, was, was gentle, but, you know, a horse that for the most part, you could put anybody on and that horse would, you know, be able to perform its job, um, you know, along the way, since I've started my own business, you know, now, now here's where we shift into the part that, that young Bud Lion did not understand, which is that it is a business and that is something different than, than training. Right. And, and, uh, you know, when I was younger, I got into this industry because I wanted to work with horses all day long. And it turns out that there are a lot of days where that's the thing I do the least, because now you you've transitioned to becoming a service provider for the public and, and that's pun intended a whole different animal and so 
um, I bring that up because I think since I've I've uh, left, you know, uh, Randy's program and I've gone and, and out and started my own business, now I solicit, you know, um, business advice from a lot of trainers and industry professionals um not to say that i i don't still need you know um the occasional uh sounding board for 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 the training aspect of it because i think that that is constant i don't think you ever get to a, a point in your your training career where you know you just have it all figured out i think when you get to that point if you feel that way you're in trouble i think you have to constantly keep you know pushing yourself to um, learn more and to reinvent yourself and to, you know, find out what the young guys are doing, you know, or draw on the wisdom of the older trainers, um, you know, who have all that experience and knowledge. Um, but there are always, you know, this, this industry is evolving so fast, um, you know, whether it's the reining, the cow horse, um, the ranch classes that you really have to work hard to stay on top of, of that evolution if you want to remain competitive. So there are certainly aspects where I'm observing and I'm, I'm you know, uh, I spend a lot of time riding with other trainers in my area because I have the luxury of being able to do that. But, um, you know, I also um, spend a lot of time trying to figure out what, you know, what, how can I offer the best service and what does the business aspect of this look like? Yeah, I think that's a really important part. And you just talked about how you still go and ride and work with other people. And I think that's what's so great about our Horse and Rider on Demand platform that you're a part of is the fact that people don't have to go and find a trainer or multiple trainers to try and ride with. They just have access to all of your training content and Brad's training content at the tips of their fingers. So being able to utilize that is important when they're trying to be successful in the show pen. Well, you know, certainly I agree. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't choose to be involved with the on-demand project if I didn't believe in it. And it's really important to me that we are doing it right and that we are creating uh, value for our subscribers and we're producing content that is genuinely allowing them to to get better and to gain insight into how they can improve themselves and and their horses um you know anything that i'm involved with i want to be done well and, and uh you know I, i'm sure um that comes uh at with some aggravation on on your end because <laughs> i probably drive you guys crazy uh sometimes you know trying to make sure that we get some things done to my you know standard but um i think that for me it's just important that we can you know give people who don't have the same access to you know uh, trainers or to these services um that you know, information and content that, um, you know, that really is something that they can put to good use. I mean, you know, I, I recognize that not everyone grew up, you know, in the same situation I did and didn't have parents who, you know, encouraged their in interest and involvement with horses or that didn't have, you know, there are certainly folks who don't have the financial resources, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, I want to reach those people who are in that position who 
really want to learn and are thirsty for knowledge and, you know, but, but um, don't have the convenience of being able to, you know, um, load up and go down the street and, and, you know, ride with their local trainer or ride with their, you know, NRHA professional or whatever it is. So, you know, whether it's the raining, the ranch riding, you know, the ring cow horse, um, you know, any of the things that, that we discuss in the on-demand project, I mean, we're always looking for, I think, uh, I'm always striving to, you know, create content that people can watch and say, oh, I never thought about that, or, oh, that actually really helped, you know, and um, so that's my goal for the on-demand platform, and, and I think it's everybody's goal. Well, and you know, like Michaela kind of mentioned, where you have access to it all at your fingertips, you don't have to wait for your favorite trainer who's hosting a clinic to come to town. Um, you know, during these COVID times where we're not traveling as much or going to horse shows, uh, having that access available anytime you want it is huge. But also, it's not just for people who show. I think the content that you produce specifically, Bud, is stuff that everybody should be doing with their horse whether they're trail riding whether they're doing the all-around stuff whether they are competing in the raining or the ranch riding or the cow horse they're all fundamentals that you need to know to have a safe quiet finished horse um so i always love to stress that like yes you are a reining and ranch riding professional and that's what you do most of your time but the stuff that you you have on video is stuff that, you know, even Michaela, who's a barrel racer uses in her daily training routine. And it's just, it's so important, I think, for people to realize that, you know, these videos can help them in any discipline that they're doing. Well, I, I'm, appreciate you saying that. And I, I, I feel like there is not any situation where someone, um, who has a horse, you know, that's handy, meaning they're, you know, they have body control and they can, you know, you can, um, use that to your advantage. I, I don't feel like anybody's ever had a horse, um, you know, that, that had that ability who said, Oh, well, that's, you know, I, I wish I didn't have that. I mean, everybody wants a horse that's, that is, um, maneuverable and, um, you know, easy to work with and that allows you to have fun and accomplish a task. Right. And that doesn't, it doesn't matter if we're talking about going into the show pen or we're talking about trail riding, you know, um, if you come across a gate and don't want to have to get off to open that gate on the trail ride, uh, and you have a horse that will allow you to do that, I, I don't see the downside of that, you know, and I don't know anyone who regretted having a horse that would allow them um, that opportunity or that ability, you know. Um, you know. I just feel like, you know, having a, a well-mannered, disciplined, fundamentally sound horse is should be everyone's goal. And that doesn't mean you have to take it to the show pen, but, you know, to be able to go out and saddle your horse and get on and, you know, side pass over and unlatch that gate and, you know, ride through it, shut it and, you know, ride off and go do whatever it is you're going to do. Um, you know, I, I think uh, anybody who's ever had a horse who wouldn't do that for them, who has struggled with that horse, who didn't want to move laterally off your leg or who wanted to, you know, uh, maybe suck back or, you know, who didn't want to maneuver through an obstacle like that, um, you know, I, 
I feel like anybody who's had that experience, um, you know, appreciates and covets a horse that will willingly do that. And having a horse that's willingly guided um, is a pleasure to have, regardless of what your goals are. And, and that includes, you know, recreational riding. So a good foundation never harmed anyone, not a horse or a human, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, well, and I think the other thing that I really love is that you're, you know, even though we're producing, um, you know, a, a video series, in some way, you're still connecting with these riders. I know that we've talked recently about people emailing you and telling you how not only appreciative they are of the videos, but then also sending over things that they do struggle with their horse so that the next video show we do, we can include those kinds of topics. And I just, I love the community that has become uh, part of On Demand and it's growing. And I'm really excited uh, that we're going to be able to keep producing content now that our uh, travel bans have been semi-lifted, we'll be able to start videoing again, and it'll it'll be good to to kind of get back into the swing of things pre-COVID. Yeah, I I mean you know we um, showed at the AQHA World Show back in November, and you know we were fortunate enough to have some great success, and uh, you know I I am certainly grateful uh, and humbled uh, for that success. But I have to tell you, one of my favorite um, experiences at the World Show had nothing to do with the competition. It was because I had um, not one, not two, but three different individuals mentioned to me that they um, subscribed to the on-demand um, service and, you know, how much they enjoyed. They mentioned how much they enjoyed, um, you know, the content and uh, what I was, you know, what we were putting out there and that at it had helped them. And that is so fulfilling and rewarding for me personally that, you know, um, you know, when someone, you know, is gracious enough to, to tell you that, then I think for me, you know, it, it really makes me feel like, um, you know, we're going the right direction and that we're accomplishing, you know, what we set out to accomplish. I, I love hearing from folks like that. And, you know, I, the first thing I always say is, you know, if you, you know, if you have um, ideas or something that, you know, a, a concept that you'd like to know more about that, you know, we're always open to suggestions. And um, as you guys know, we have had some people follow up with us on that and, and send us, you know, a, a private message or an email saying, Hey, you know, just following up on our conversation, you know, I, I thought of this, or this is something that's been giving me trouble at home. And, and I'd really like to know how you handle that situation or what you would do, you know, uh, differently with, with that horse. And so those are the kind of things that, you know, are incredibly rewarding for me. And, um, you know, again, I, you know, uh, it's always fun to be successful in the show pen, but when people come up to you and tell you that, you know, you've really created value for them and their experience with their horse, then, um, you know, to me, that's a, a whole different type of personal gratification. Absolutely. It's, it's really rewarding to know that you're making a difference, even if it's just a couple people who have approached you and said it, you're making a difference for those people. And that's so much more important for the industry as a whole than, the trophies or the accolades or, or whatever it's, it's knowing that, you know, you're helping this industry grow and that's huge. Um, 
if anybody who's listening to this has not checked out On Demand yet, they can visit ondemand.horseandrider.com, sign up for a seven-day free trial. I think we have hundreds of videos with Bud specifically available that if you haven't had a chance to check out, you need to. Uh, before we wrap up this interview, because Bud, we've had you on the phone for now an hour and a half, even though we promised it would be under an hour. Hey, 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 don't rush me off. It's, it's snowing out here. I'm perfectly warm at this table in the kitchen <laughs> talking to you guys. Well, if our listeners want to learn more about you, where can they find you online, on social media? How can they reach out to you? Oh, shameless plug time. I love this part. Um, you can. And you can reach me or learn more about my training program uh, on social media, of course. We, we're Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. Um, am I forgetting any of them? We don't do the Twitter. Um, no TikTok? But, uh, you know, I keep... My youth He's the star keep... of our TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my youth writers keep telling me I need to do the TikTok, and I just don't think I'm cool enough for TikTok. You know, I just, I don't, I, I just, I'm afraid I'd get shamed off of TikTok. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have to practice my lip syncing skills, I think. And my dance moves are, they're not salvageable. They're <laughs> reprehensible. So uh, I'm going to have to figure out a, a shtick before we do TikTok. But uh, certainly um, social, the other social media platforms, um, we have uh, a website, budlionperformancehorses.com. Uh, you can email me at bud at budlionperformancehorses.com. Um, certainly, uh, on demand is, is a, uh, a great platform to learn more about my training program. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, just to, to kind of touch on what you were saying, Nicole, before we jump off the phone here, you know, one of the things that I think is really important, um, for our industry to continue to thrive is to have what I call new blood. And that means, you know, we just, we can't rely on the folks who are already in the industry. I think that, um, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, and cultivate, you know, interest in horses as an industry and as an opportunity for kids and families, you know, to, um, to grow together and, and bond, just like my family did over horses. But, you know, I, I feel like kids have so many other options these days between all the activities and schoolwork that that is offered to them and is on their plate. And I think that, um, you know, as an industry, we need to continue to, you know, bring people into the fold and make them feel welcomed and comfortable and that, you know, the on-demand platform can be, you know, a vessel for that in some regards because not everyone, like we mentioned, you know, has the opportunity to you know, ride with a professional trainer, you know, um, on a regular basis. And, um, I think, you know, the content that we're producing is specifically geared for people who, you know, could be in that position, but want to learn more and want to enjoy their horses and want to spend, you know, more time getting, getting their horses, um, you know, to meet their goals. So for me, I think, um, you know, as much as I, you know, we focus on the technical aspects of, you know, performance um, sometimes in the on-demand program. I think that it's also a great opportunity, you know, to bring in people, um, you know, who who haven't had those uh, same um, opportunities and, and to hopefully help, you know, 
grow uh, our industry and uh, provide you know an appreciation for these equine athletes and and these companion animals that we have totally i think we might need to do a part two podcast because i feel like we're just like at the tip of the iceberg and there's so much to talk about or maybe we just need to get bud his own podcast because i've loved Ooh, yes. this conversation so much yes that's a lot of bud i don't know oh <laughs> that'll be that'll be the name of it that's a lot of bud perfect <laughs> nailed it well i i'm down for it especially if the weather keeps up like this so uh we'll carve out a little time every snowy morning so <laughs> i love it well thank you so much for joining us we always appreciate getting to talk with you and spend time with you and and we're so glad that you had time to sit down and talk with us even if it's just because you're snowed in in Antarctica, AKA uh, North Texas. Um, but we so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, snow days are the best days. I'm down for it. So thank you guys for all your uh, hard work and for uh, letting me join you on the podcast. Once again, we'd like to thank Weaver Leather for sponsoring this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning in to The Ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.